Hayes. In the studio with us this morning, we have Chief Medical Officer and Regional Director of Multi-Specialty Services for the Upper West Region, which includes right here in Monmouth and Galesburg. It is Dr. Harley Brooks. Good morning, Dr. Brooks. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic this morning. How are you today? I have no complaints. I'm going to cut <coughs> beans later today. Yes, excellent. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Catch us up. You're the, the expert, the doctor in charge. Tell us what's going on. Um, you know, really, I think it's most importantly really to understand what happened just yesterday. Yesterday, uh, I'm going to summarize some bullet points from an article about what happened yesterday. The FDA recently, just yesterday, authorized booster doses of the COVID-19 vaccine made by Moderna and also the J&J vaccine following unanimous votes by committee of independent advisors backing the boosters last week. And in a similar decision, the FDA authorized boosters that differ from the vaccine originally used to immunize the people against COVID vaccines. So, for example, if a person got a J&J &J vaccine, they could receive a booster dose from the Moderna or the Pfizer Biotech um, doses as well. This, uh, this opens the gate for the boosters basically to be used more widely. As we all likely know, in, in September, the FDA authorized a booster dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Um, to quote the FDA's acting commissioner, Jan Janet Woodcock, her name is Dr. Janet Woodcock, the available data suggests waning immunity in some patients who are fully vaccinated. The availability of these uh, authorized boosters is important for continued protection against COVID-19. I do want to reiterate that this is very common to have this waning immunity with many infectious diseases, and that is one reason why we get things such as tetanus boosters and why we have the shingles vaccine, uh, especially for older people or immunocompromised people, even if they've already had the virus that causes the shingles outbreak. A study of the mix and matched approach, which is the one, one, one initial dose and another company making the booster dose, funded by the NIH, found no safety concerns and using the different vaccine as a booster. It also, the boost with the match vaccine, with the mixed vaccine combination were also at least as good in stimulating the antibodies as the match vaccines. So the decision could, this decision really should make it easier for people to use the booster doses more widely. The Moderna authorization covers a booster for people who were immunized against the company's two-shot vaccine at least six months before and also who are 65 years of older, who are 18 to 64 and at high risk of severe COPD, or excuse me, COVID-19, or in the same age group, the 18 to 64 age group, and also whose work or institutional exposure puts them at high COVID-19 risk. Uh, the Committee of Advisors to the FDA voted 19 to nothing in support of this booster dose. I think that's really important to reiterate. And in terms of the booster dose for the J&J &J vaccine, it needs to happen at least two months after the initial immunization for patients who are 18 years of older. Um, you know, of note, there were several people in the community already having these. And in the Upper West Region, I'm not aware of any safety concerns with getting the booster doses. Okay, thank you for the update, Dr. Brooks. And uh, that is something that we will uh, be able to go to our health departments. They usually handle a lot of the booster shots. And then your patients will be able to go through OSF MyChart uh, as well. Yes, absolutely. A thousand percent. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the new antiviral drug. This is of really important note. Yeah. Merck recently announced promising trial results for malnupiravir. It's a new oral antiviral for the treatment of COVID-19. Merck has filed for the EUA, or what's called the Emergency Youth, Auth Emergency Youth Author Authorization, 
from the FDA. This is the same authorization that was initially used for the you know, for the vaccines until the CDC authorized full use authorization. So we would look to the CDC, which provides us with best practices for implementing this new antiviral in our treatment protocols if and when it receives full FDA approval. The drug maker also asked for the drug to be authorized to treat mild to moderate COVID-19 and adults at risk of progressing to severe disease. This can be taken shortly at home after the diagnosis of COVID-19. Each course of treatment requires patients to take 40 pills over five days or approximately eight pills a day. Merck also said September the 29th that malnupiravir has shown to be effective against virus variants, including the Delta virus and clinical trials. While this is encouraging time and time again during the pandemic, we've seen a deep emphasis on prevention and an outsized focus on treatment. I cannot stress more strongly, though, we need to continue the mask wearing and the vaccinations that we're undergoing. These are the two most effective means of controlling the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, despite what others tell you, as a health professional, I've had 26 years of experience as a as a resident, as a physician since 1995, and this is th- this is really what really is going to help us control this pandemic. So, uh, this uh, particular new oral antiviral for the treatment of COVID-19 has was this something that has been, you know, in the works for a while? How do you? How, I mean, it's interesting. It's an oral, um, you know, pill. How do you come up with that? How does it go into the studies of it? Um. Really, the, the, the studies are well designed, and, and they what they do is they randomly test people who received the oral antiviral versus those who didn't receive the oral antiviral. And what that does, it compares the efficacy or the or, or the or how effective the treatment is for the patients, and that's how they really kind of do it before they really kind of announce any results. Okay, so would you uh, just have a, a positive test? And then take this particular oral? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's it. After just, uh, you know, shortly after it's diagnosed with that positive test, you would definitely take the antiviral. Yes. Okay. What's next for us that you have this morning, Dr. Brooks? You know, I'd really like to discuss Colin, Colin Powell's death and what it teaches us about breakthrough infections of fully vaccinated people. Colin Powell's death from, 19, from COVID-19 points out that people who are older, and who are severely and have severely compromised immune systems have a lesser reaction to the virus, meaning they have less antibodies, making them able to fight it better. Uh, thus, the supplemental shot and the booster shot is very, very important. Uh, before developing the COVID-19, the 84-year-old former four-star general and secretary of state was suffering from an acute cancer of the blood. This is known as multiple myeloma. Not only can that cancer lead to a weaker immune system, but also the treatments can, can also, also cause it to, to, to more severely affect those patients. Uh, Powell, unfortunately, had been scheduled to get his supplemental shot before he got sick last week. Uh, multiple myeloma is especially challenging because it targets the cells needed to make antibodies, and it's the antibodies that are a key part of the immune system's response to a future COVID infection. His, his age and ongoing treatments with the multiple, multiple myeloma also likely played a role in how his body was not able to fight the infection. As we pointed out previously, people who are immunocompromised don't get the full benefit of the vaccine. I, as a heart transplant recipient, did not get the full benefit of the vaccine. I got my Pfizer booster approximately four Fridays ago. Um, so, you know, I was sure to get my booster shots. And just as an FYI, the federal government estimates that 3% of the U.S. population have compromised immune systems, and that is why it is very important for us to get the booster shots. 
Still, the deaths among the fully vaccinated, you know, for, from the COVID-19 are still very, very rare, especially in contrast to the unvaccinated patients who were the ones that are so sick on the ventilators and in the ICUs in the hospital. And uh, obviously, we're going to be tracking the data on these fully vaccinated who do experience death. Okay. Will they be recommending, do you think, uh, down the road that uh, the booster shot get taken on a yearly basis until COVID seems to have dissipated? Oh, that, that, that is my own personal opinion at this point. Yeah, that, it, that at some point it's going to become like the flu vaccine. But, you know, obviously I have to defer to the experts on that. Sure. Okay. And then I know you also wanted to talk about vaccine for kids. Yes, I also want to talk about vaccine for kids. The White House told Illinois Governor Pritzker to start preparing the state to vaccinate people children age five and older by early November, hoping that the FDA should clear the Pfizer's COVID vaccine for that age group in the coming weeks. The Biden administration has purchased 65 million pediatric doses of the, of the Pfizer vaccine, enough to vaccinate the estimated 28 million children who would be eligible under the, under the anticipated FDA approval, this according to an HHS official. Pfizer and Biotech also said earlier this month that they had submitted an EUA or the emergency use authorization again uh, for those aged aged 5 to 11, and an FDA advisory committee plans to meet to discuss this request actually just just a week from the day on October 26th. The vaccine doses for the youngest age group will not be interchangeable with those used in adults because it has both a different dosage and a different dilution requirement. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine is currently the only vaccine authorized for emergency use in children as young as 12. Both Moderna and J&J vaccines can be used for the adults aged, eight, aged 18 and older. If the approval does come, OSF Healthcare would work with the patients to and the parents to coordinate shots through the primary care and pediatric offices. Okay. Thank you for your update. And I do see, uh, if I can, I'll share that uh, Colleen Reynolds sent us the COVID-19 hospitalization chart uh, for the week of October 20th. This is always helpful. Um, feel free if you want to share with us what she sent to us today. Yeah, it, it you know, every week OSF puts out the data on Wednesdays and the latest reports has some great news. Across the ministry of OSF, we're seeing that the numbers of COVID-19 hospitalizations are declining uh, as reported by 14 out of the 15 hospitals within OSF. Our newest hospital in Princeton, by the way, is uh, the one that did not report is not yet on the same electronic medical record system, so it may really makes it hard to track the hospitalizations for those. Uh, of the people in the hospital, 92, 92 are hospitalized, and of those, 26 are fully vaccinated. So that's a, a little bit more than 30% of those in contrast to like the 50% or 55% who haven't received the fully vaccinated in the, in the general population. Of the 24 in the ICU, only five are fully vaccinated, and uh, and uh, that means that approximately 75% or almost 80% of those are unvaccinated at, at, at 19. And of the 12 on the ventilators, uh, eight of those are unvaccinated. I do think it is important uh, to note that the majority of patients hospitalized are still, are still unvaccinated against the COVID-19. Um, Facts to note about the 26 vaccinated patients who are hospitalized. 19 of the 26 vaccinated hospitalized are 65 or older. Of that group, five are overdue for the approved Pfizer booster, and three patients in that category were recommended to have three doses at the time of vaccination with the Pfizer-Moderna series due to their immunocompromised status. So, you know, again, as noted, a lot of the fully vaccinated ones are those 
uh, are those immunocompromised people who are at risk and have the waning immune systems, regardless of what the, uh, of the, of the virus or the bacteria would be that could cause them to be sick. Okay. I appreciate you coming in to provide us the latest information from OSF. Anything else you wanted to add this morning? You know what? According to state public health officials, I did want to say that 18% of Illinois residents have already received their booster dose. So that's encouraging to see the numbers grow. And that's as of, as of October the 12th. Another positive development, Governor Prisker also told reporters that this week the administration continues to monitor the COVID-19 metrics and, and hopes of lifting some of the restrictions like the indoor mask mandate, possibly even in time for the holidays. So that's some really encouraging news. Okay. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much, sir. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Have a great day. Yes, you have a great day, too. We'll talk to you next month. That is Dr. Harley Brooks, Chief Medical Officer and Regional Director of Multi-Specialty Services in the Upper West Region. Coming up, we will speak with Lisa DeKiesel. She's the president of OSF Holy Family Medical in St. Mary's, and that is on